I want to welcome you to our, our Sunday morning service. Um, uh, praise God that you're here this morning and I pray that you are encouraged by the word and that your hearts are really open to listen to what God has to, to say to you, especially if you're here for the first time. really want to welcome you as well. Um, and I pray that you are also encouraged uh, this morning. You know, as the church, our, our, our reason for existing as a church is very simple. It's very simple. We just want to glorify Jesus. Uh, we want to speak God's truth. Uh, and we, because we know God's truth is the very thing that's going to save your life. It's going to change your life. It's going to heal your soul. So we really don't want to glorify people. It's not about how, how big we become. It's not about where we fellowship. Uh, it's really never been, that's never been us as a church. We, we really just exist because we want to glorify Jesus. And we know this is going to help you. The truth is going to help you. So I pray this morning that you're really encouraged by God's word. It's not me, it's not the songs or the person singing the songs, but it's God's word through those songs and it's God's word through the message this morning that you really open your heart to listen to. I really pray that's the case um, this morning. So um, let's pray together. Let's pray this morning and ask the Lord's blessing on his word uh, and blessing to those who are, all of you that are listening, even to myself, that the Lord speaks to us all uh, as, the word is, as the word is shared uh, this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you so much for today. We thank you so much for your word. Uh, we thank you so much for all the things that you give to us. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And we thank you, Lord God. We pray this morning that your word may speak into all of our hearts, that you are the one who knows what's going on deep within. And I pray, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit may speak to the areas of our lives that need to be spoken to the most. Lord, I pray that you draw men and women and children to you. We want to glorify you this morning, Jesus, where we want your truth to go out. And we know, Lord God, this is what helps and heals people the most. So, Father, I pray your blessing on us. I pray for our, our Arabic-speaking brothers and sisters who are also meeting this morning. I pray your blessing be upon them. I pray your spirit may work through our brother George as he shares with them. And I pray that you may work with power and great grace uh, on them and with us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank God again for his word. And we're going to continue this morning from where I left off last week. And we started uh, again, uh, we continue the story of Elijah. And, and I shared with you last week that I just, I just sort of sensed that we haven't quite finished from Elijah yet. So I wanted to keep reading a bit more about Elijah last week and this week and, and God willing next week as well. Uh, maybe, who knows, the week after. But I wanted to sort of talk a bit more about the story of Elijah. And we left it last week, um, about halfway through chapter 18 of First Kings. So um, if you want to open up your Bibles to First Kings chapter 18, and uh, we're going to just recap very, very quickly two verses or three verses, verses 17 to 19, and then we're going to continue on to, to verse 20 um, this morning. So if you remember last week, um, I spoke how God is... God is doing all that he can. God is working all that he can so he can restore the faith of his people. And I believe this morning by faith, I believe God wants to restore your faith. God wants to restore whatever might be broken in your faith, whatever might be hurting in your faith. You know, I think the worst thing you can do this morning is to sit and listen to me and say, yeah, my faith is all good when it's not. I mean, what good is that going to do for you? What, what good is it going to do for you to pretend that your faith is where your faith should be if it's not? It's not going to help you. Sure, you might convince your neighbor, you might convince your friend, you might convince your sister or your brother, but you're not convincing God. 
And I think it's a real shame. You're only doing yourself a disservice. You're hurting yourself. You're robbing yourself. If you're not prepared to say, God, this morning and for a while, my faith is not where it should be. My faith is hurting. My faith is broken. My faith is, is, is it's somehow um, bent and it, ne it needs your healing, God. It needs your restoration. And God, the God of the Bible, it, he reveals something very beautiful about himself. He works to restore the faith of his people. Now, maybe you've never had a faith. Maybe your faith has always been based on what you think you knew or maybe the faith of your parents or, or, or your upbringing or, or something like that. Maybe you've never had your own genuine faith and God has been stirring in your heart that this is the day. This is the, this is the day the Lord has called salvation for you. This is the day that if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And so I pray this morning that if you're one of those people who have been thinking and been stirring and thinking to yourself, Lord, I need to get this right once and for all, then I pray this morning, this is your morning. I believe by faith, God wants to restore the faith of those who are broken this morning. Don't, please, don't pretend to have a faith that you don't have. Don't pretend. It only hurts you. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt you a lot. And I pray this morning that what we, we hear in this morning is, to, is for God to be speaking into your hearts a faith and building a faith that is the faith he wants, even if it's the faith this morning of a mustard seed, but the faith that he wants in you. My question this morning to start us off is this. At the moment in our lives and in our experiences, what is it that we're really trusting in? What is it that we're really finding ourselves that we are trusting in, particularly through these experiences, particularly through this pandemic that we're experiencing and every other thing that we're experiencing in life, our, our own physical ailments or, or the social things that we're experiencing in life? What is it that we're really trusting in? Are we trusting, are we, are we putting our hope and trust in this pandemic being over and then, and then all of a sudden everything's going to be good again? Are we hoping and putting our trust in people changing or are we putting our hope and trust in our governments? What is it that we, we, we find our hearts finding rest and trust in? What is it that we're finding ourselves completely trusting in? And can I suggest this morning that these things aren't the things that you need to put your complete trust in. What you have to put your complete trust in, or who rather, you have to put your complete trust in, is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that becomes the anchor of your faith. He is the beginner and the, and the end of your faith. He is the one that is the one that restores and fixes and brings hope into your situation. So rather than trying to put your trust in something that is going to change, Rather, put your, one, your faith in the one who never changes. He's the one that wants to restore this faith in you. I pray this morning that what you experience is not uh, putting your trust in, 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 uh, in a man of some kind or in an, an event of some kind, but rather in the living God. Because he's the God who goes to extraordinary lengths to restore your faith. And we began, we've been seeing that through the story of Elijah, how he would, he would travel kilometres, he would travel miles just to reach you for the faith. He would leave the 99 to bring your faith. What, why, why would you be any different? He helped that widow. He helped that widow out of the middle of nowhere, so to speak. Why would he not help you? But he needs you to turn your face to him. Stop being ashamed. Stop being embarrassed. He needs you to turn your face to him and allow him to bring healing of this faith. And this morning, we're going to read the story of Elijah when he has this massive 
confrontation with the prophets of the false gods. And there's this battle that's going on. And a lot of you know the story. A lot of you know the story when he's, he's coming up against the, the prophets of Baal and, and he has this massive competition, if you like, or confrontation with them. And I pray that by God's spirit, I can shed some light for you this morning that would encourage and, um, and strengthen your faith. But last week, we saw when Ahab, who was the king at the time, not a good king at all, not a good king at all. When he saw Elijah, remember in verse 17, he said to Elijah in chapter 18, he said, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? He called Elijah a troublemaker. And Elijah said to him, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your fathers have in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all of Israel to me on Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's, who eat at Jezebel's table. And Elijah saying to, to Ahab, I haven't troubled Israel. You've troubled Israel because you have left him. You have forsaken him. And, and I was sharing with you last week that it's not, it's not truth that troubles people. It's their sin and disobedience that troubles people. And I wondered this morning if the truth of God, because Ahab was, was un, uh, unsettled by the truth of God. And I wonder this morning if God's truth might unsettle you a little bit. It might unsettle. It might make you feel uncomfortable a little bit. But I want you to think to yourself, what is it that's making you feel uncomfortable? Why do you feel uncomfortable with God's truth? And if you feel uncomfortable with God's truth because you disagree with me, well, you need to wrestle that out. Maybe ask me. Maybe, maybe contact me and ask me, what is it that, why is it that I said what I said? But if you're unsettled because you realize that you're not in the right place, then this is your opportunity by God's grace to do something about it. Elijah knew that he wasn't the troublemaker. God's people were in a drought. Remember, three and a half years, no rain. God's people were in a drought. God's people were suffering. They were inflicted. And they were chasing after all these false gods, hoping maybe in their hearts that, you know, uh, uh, they could get some relief, hoping and thinking that if, if I can't get it from God, maybe I can get it from other things in life. Isn't that how people feel sometimes? You know, God doesn't seem to give them what they want or what they're hoping for, so they run to other things that aren't good for them. But these people were living in a drought. They had a drought. There was no rain. I, I would say it's a beautiful picture of how the Christians today can live in a drought of, of, of fellowship with God, drought with, of joy with God, a drought of, of not knowing the future and not having any peace with God. They're living in a drought, and God's doing what he can to restore their faith and to refresh their souls. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for how great is his love and his grace toward us. And so Elijah calls all the people. Remember I said last week, he, he made a point. And you see this reference two or three times in this passage. And it's one of the most remarkable references in this passage. And often when I've read this, I've overlooked and yet, as I've been rereading this passage, more and more it's occurred to me that perhaps, perhaps that the only reason this passage exists is for this reference. And the Bible says this, Elijah says, go and call all of Israel. I don't think Elijah was particularly 
um, yes, he would have been um, had some kind of sympathy for the people of the prophets of Baal. But I, don't, I think his primary, his primary care and concern were the people of Israel. Go and call them because they are in slavery. They are in bondage. They are afflicted and inflicted because they are searching other gods. And these prophets have deceived them. And they are in a drought. And it's time because God wants to pour his rain on them. And this is a beautiful story of God's love. So if your faith is not where it should be, don't be scared to admit it. Come, gather with me this morning. Gather and see and witness the hand of God and allow him to pour the rain of faith on you. Allow him to refresh your faith. So he says in verse 19, go, please gather everyone because there is a, there is a battle that's about to take place and I want them to see it. I want them to see it. Brothers and sisters, when we choose to follow the Lord, God works in our hearts to bring us to this faith. And God in the chaos wants to bring a calmness in our life. But I have learned that part of that calmness, you need to be believing, but you also need to be resisting. You need to hold on and believe but you need to also be resisting when the enemy comes to try and rob you of this calmness. And the two go hand in hand. And I pray this morning that you can come to a place of believing. And when the enemy comes, you can find the strength by God's grace to resist and to hold on to his very truths. So from verse 20, the Bible says this, verse 20. So Ahab sent and thank God he did this. Yeah, he listened. He listened to the prophet Elijah. So Abraham, Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. So he did that. Thank God. By God's grace, what he did is he went and he said to all of Israel, okay, come, come. Now, I wonder what's going through Ahab's mind. Is he thinking to himself, and I'll show Elijah and I'm going to show these people and this is going to be done once and for all and it's going to be dealt with. You know, or was he getting nervous at the idea of calling all of Israel? But whatever it was, he was in the hand of God because God wanted all of Israel there and God was going to get them there. So Elijah asked for it and, and Ahab gathered them all. And now the scene is set, praise the Lord. The scene is set. All of God's people are watching. The prophets of Baal are there uh, ready for battle. And Ahab the king is um, uh, orchestrating or organizing it all. But, but really, at the end of the day, it's God who wants to do his work. Verse 21. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you, sorry, he said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, Not a word. This amazing verse. This happens in other times in the scripture as well too. But Elijah's very, very clear to them. He said, listen, you've got to stop faltering. This word falter is an interesting word. Some people translate it to mean limping, hesitating. You know when someone's limping because they've got something broken? They kind of can't move. They, they, they're, they're restricted in some ways. They're they're hesitant in some ways. He said, for how long are you going to limp? If God is God, give him everything. 
But if all your, your other gods are gods, give them everything. But how long are you going to try and have one foot with God and one foot with the world? One foot with God and one foot with all the loves you'll have in this life. How long are you going to try and separate yourself and only hurt yourself? Because this isn't the way of God. If you want God and he's really God, then you need to give everything to him. You need to be unashamed. You can't be embarrassed by him. You can't allow people to dictate your faith. You can't do things because you think you're worried about what people are going to say about you. At the end of the day, if God is God, give him everything. But if he's not God and you think the other things are God, we'll give them everything. But don't limp between two thinking you're going to be okay because you're not. And what's interesting, when people are really confronted by this truth, if their faith isn't where it's meant to be, then what happens sometimes is this, they go silent because they don't know what to say. They're really not sure what to say. And the Bible says here, but the people answered him not a word. Maybe that's a good thing. Stop defending yourself. Stop arguing. Stop, stop trying to justify what you're doing. Just silence. Think about it. Think about what's going on. Are you really where you should be? And rather than using the energy to try and justify and reason yourself, maybe the energy should be spent on saying, God, forgive me. My faith isn't where it should be. I'm not going to justify it anymore. I'm just going to confess it. My faith is not where it should be. And so these people were called to stop limping between two things and rather to give themselves to God once and for all. But God in his love was going to do something. He was going to demonstrate himself glorious and wonderful. And he was going to show himself how majestic and powerful he is. So only you know where you're at. If you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, if you're doing something secretly, if you're doing something that you know is embarrassing, if you're doing something that you know is not good for your faith, then it's you this morning to decide. If God is God, follow him. Because God is ready to receive you. God is ready to restore his faith. This is the very reason he gathered all these people to him, because he was concerned they were in a drought. The Bible goes on to say, verse 22, Then Elijah said to the people, I am alone and left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And then you will call on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. <laughs> That's remarkable. God's Elijah saying to the people, okay, here's the plan. You get the bull ready. You put it here for your gods. I'll get the bull ready. I'll put it here for my God. We'll call upon the Lord and whoever, Whatever God burns the sacrifice with fire, he's the Lord God. And the people say, it's well, it's well what you said. Now I'm wondering, what are they trying to say? Are they, is this a cry of hope in their hearts? That a man of God has stood up and said, now it's time to let's see who's God. And maybe is this a cry of hope or is this a cry of, um, or is this a statement of, of, of um, unbelief? Who knows? I hope to think it's a cry of hope to say, here, maybe God is going to reveal himself because we want to come back to the living God. 
whatever it is, the challenge is on. Put your bull, put your bull, put the wood, and let's cry on the Lord. And whoever, and they all agreed, yes, it is well spoken. Verse 25. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first for you are many and call on the name of your God and put no fire no, put no fire under it. Can I, just, can I just say for a moment here, what's quite remarkable here again, and that's the theme I've been talking about all along, what extraordinary lengths God is still going to. I mean, why? Why go to the effort of creating two sacrifices, calling upon God, pouring down fire? Why go to this extraordinary length? Why not just come and speak the word and let something happen a lot more simpler? Because listen, this is the extraordinary love of God. The God will go to whatever lengths to reach your heart and to speak in a way that you need to hear it. And God will do this because of his love to restore your faith. So he says, okay, let's do this. Verse 26. So they took the bull, which was given to them, and they prepared it. And he called, and they called on the name of Baal, which is the false god, yeah? They called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon, saying, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. It's quite remarkable here because from morning until noontime, they were calling upon Baal, but there was no answer. Listen very carefully to this. You can search all your life. Remember, this was morning to noon, all day. Can you imagine how tiring it was? To keep doing it again and again and again and again, calling upon their bow, calling upon their bow. No answer, no answer. It's drought, it's hot, it's sweaty. And they keep trying and they keep trying. And, they, and Because what God is revealing is something remarkable. You can try as long as you want, but you're only going to tire your soul. Your soul is going to get tired until you come back to the living God. That, that, could, that could have gone for a month. And the same events. The Bible says that, um, um, but there was no voice. No one answered. And you can search for meaning and life in everything other than God. But at the end of the day, what you're going to get is silence. You're not going to get a voice and you're not going to get an answer. God is your answer. The Lord Jesus Christ is the voice of truth. This is the voice you need to listen to. And so in verse 27, these people are, are getting tired, but also they are, they are humiliating themselves, hurting themselves. Look at verse 27. And so it was, uh, so it was that Elijah um, um, mocked them and said, cry aloud for he, for he is a God. Either he's, he's, he's meditating or maybe he's busy, or, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's sleeping and he must be awakened. Because this is how ridiculous it is to look for something outside of God. What are you searching for? The creator of this world, and then you find in yourself, you've got the insight and the intellect to find something outside of God. He goes, it's, 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 so, it's so bizarre and so ridiculous. It's like, you better cry louder because maybe he's busy. Maybe he's on a journey. Maybe you need to wake him up. It's very sad to watch people look for life, healing, 
restoration, forgiveness, in anything else other than Jesus. It's very sad to watch because they're only causing themselves greater pain. And the pain is true. Look at verse 28. And they cried aloud and cut themselves as there was their custom with knives and lances until blood gushed out of them. So here's a picture of a people who are hoping in something other than God, but they are getting tired. They are leaping around the altar. They are humiliating themselves and then they are hurting themselves. Sure, they may not be physically cutting themselves, a lot of the people, but there is an emotional cutting of themselves because they're trying to find life outside of God. So they are tired, they are humiliated, and they are hurting. They are hurting. These people are trying to live with a faith that only God wants to restore. If you're in that place today, and I ask you, come, turn your face towards the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. Turn your heart toward him. Turn it away from the things of this world and turn it back to the Lord. Allow the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive and to cleanse you of all your sin. Verse 29. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Is that how you're feeling? You've tried and you've tried and you've tried, but at the end of the day, there is no voice, no one's answering, no one's paying attention. If you leave God, and you say, I'm done with God. Then you decide to do life on your own. And God pain, God, God hurts at the idea of his people turning away from him when he knows he has life and he has the water of life. Remember that verse in Jeremiah? When God says, my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Because he's got the water of life. They've forsaken him and they've gone and lived in a drought. And then they've cut out for themselves cisterns or jugs. Broken cisterns that can't hold water. He goes, this is the pain of God. He goes, not only have they left me, me who, have, who is the living water. But they've gone and built for themselves things that can't even hold water. Temporarily, they get filled up and they feel satisfied for a moment. But then the crack is there and it drains out and they feel empty again. And it hurts the heart of God because he didn't create us to be like this. He created us that we would be in his presence, enjoy the refreshment of his spirit, allow his presence to lift us up. And this morning I pray that if God speaks to your heart, that you stop building systems that are broken. You stop building jars that can't hold water and turn to the living God. And so this is a beautiful picture of what God's people, where God's people had found themselves. So 
Now it's Elijah's turn, okay? Here we go, now it's Elijah's turn. Verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. I love this. Because again, I believe God is going to extraordinary lengths to call his people. And the first thing Elijah does is this. Hey, everyone, come, come, gather, gather around me. It's like, it's like don't, don't look at it from afar. Come, I want you to come, come close because I want you to see what God is about to do because God's heart is for his people. And the first thing Elijah is most interested in and wants to get right, right from the start is make sure that God's people are hanging around and watching carefully what is about to happen. You don't get a sense that Elijah comes up with his ego and says, okay, <laughs> watch now what I'm going to do. You don't get a sense that that's what Elijah's about to do, like it's all about him. No, no, people, come, gather, gather. I want you to see what the Lord is going to do because he wants their hearts to be restored. And verse 31, Elijah took the 12 stones. Oh, sorry, um, get all to, and, and he repaired, sorry, verse 30, and he repaired um, the altar of the Lord that was broken down see god's altar was broken down because they weren't sacrificing to god and so the first thing he did was let's get our 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 faith rights let's restore let's restore this altar that where god we're going to sacrifice from it was broken and it needed restoration you know when i thought about this verse i thought of um um uh revelation and i thought how how something broken needs to be restored and in revelation chapter 2 it says when god's people were, were doing all the right things but yet they had left their first love and it needed to be restored and it says remember therefore from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works or else i will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent and there is this restoration that god is after and the first thing elijah does is let's fix the altar Let's fix the altar. And look at verse 31. And Elijah took the 12 stones, and according to the number of the 12 tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, come saying, Israel shall be your name. He took 12 stones to help restore this altar, each for the tribe of Israel. I love this. I love this. Because what Elijah, I believe, is doing is this. He's saying to God's people, listen, I know where you are, but can I remind you of something? Remember where you came from. Remember the roots of your faith. Remember who you are. Because this world will define you in some way. It will call you something. But I want you to remember who you are. Go back to your roots. And I have a word for children this morning. If you're a child this morning or a teenager or a young adult, I want you to listen carefully to this. Never forget your Christian roots. Never forget where you came from because this was no accident. It was no accident that you grew up in a Christian family. It was no accident that you heard the word of God morning and night and day after day. It's no accident that you grew up under the love and the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Never forget your Christian roots. Come back to the very place that God began in your life. And what Elijah's doing here is he's re-establishing their roots. He's re-establishing their faith. Hey, let's get a brick. Let's get a stone for every tribe of Israel. Verse 32. 
Then with the stones, then with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seats of seed of seed. And he put the wood in, in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid on the wood, and he said, Fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifices and on the wood. And then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And he did it a third time. And the water ran all around the altar. And, and, and he also filled the trench with water. Why is this so significant? How many jars of water did they fill and pour on the altar? How many jars? Twelve. Twelve jars of water now you might think to yourself 12 tribes of israel maybe or 12 disciples or you might think and that's true it could be that but i want you to think about something for a moment we're in a drought it's a drought firstly where did the water come from was it their last bit of water was it the last bit of water that they had to by faith, believe that they came to the very end of themselves and God was going to demonstrate his power. Because at the end of the day, this is faith. Faith is not holding on to the things you think you can hold on to. And God, you need to completely let go of everything that is going to get in the way of you and God. Where, even if it was their last bit of water, pour it on. Just like the last bit of oil and the last bit of flour that Elijah with his own eyes had testified and witnessed that God will always make sure there is enough. So they poured it on. They poured on the water. Let it overflow with water because God was going to demonstrate himself to be strong and he was going to pour rain from heaven. This is the God of the universe. This is a God who's not limited by humanness. This is a God who sees you give up everything and then pours out everything to you. You have no strength? Turn your face to Jesus. You feel embarrassed? Turn your face to Jesus. You feel ashamed? Turn your face to Jesus. Watch him. Watch him pour out grace. If you can believe... If you can believe and turn your face toward Jesus, watch him pour out grace. The Bible says this. Look at verse 36. And it came to pass at that time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God, um, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Again, he, he, he turns to their roots, the God of Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob. Verse 37, hear me, O Lord, uh, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you. Wow. I don't know. I don't know if you can see what I can see, but this is a remarkable statement of faith. Elijah saying, God, do this work and show them that you have turned their heart back to you. That what God is intending, God's heart, God's intention, God's love is to witness now and experience the people of God turning back to him. 
Give up your sin. Give up your pride. Give up your fleshly desires. Give up your carnal ways. Give it up. Because what God is doing, he wants to pour something on you much better, greater than anything that you can experience in this world. This is, this is everything God is wanting to do. His heart and his intention was to turn their people, his people, back to him. Show them, Lord, that you have come, you have come, verse 37, that you have turned their hearts back to you. What a great God. What a great God who knows the end from the beginning. What a wonderful Lord we serve. Verse 38. Once Elijah prays, yeah, there's no morning to noon. There's no cutting himself. Uh, there's no leaping around the altar and humiliating himself. He calls on the name of the Lord and the Bible says in the next verse, you get a sense that it was immediate. Immediate. The Bible says, verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was on, that was sorry, that was in the trench. It licked it up. <laughs> it's like, it's like for God, nothing's hard. It's like he's just licking up water. Nothing's hard at all. When all day the people in drought were hoping for the prophets of Baal maybe to, to have God, the God of their, their gods call upon them and cut themselves and, and humiliate themselves and get themselves tired of searching other gods. And then in a moment, God just licks up the water and burns the sacrifice. Is there anything too difficult for our God? Is there any reason why you would still run thinking that what you're experiencing at the moment is too hard for God? Will you come and believe, Lord, you need to restore my soul. You need to restore my faith. It's like David in the sling. <laughs> God didn't need anything, just a sling in David's hand because nothing is too difficult for God. Verse 39. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord he is God. The Lord, he is God. Because this was the very purpose God sent Elijah to them. So he would witness the restoration, the healing, the repentance, and the, the, the freedom that now they are going to find in the living God. Their hearts turned from their sin. They repented. They came to the living God and the spirit of God, if you like, gave them refreshment. And so now they were able to fall on their faces and say, the Lord, he is God. I wonder if this morning you would leave this message this morning declaring in your own heart without any shadow of doubt, with great confidence and great faith, the Lord, he is God. Verse 40. Then Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let any of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful image. The prophets of Baal were executed, and what a beautiful picture and image where God says to us, Okay, it is done. It is finished. Take it all to the cross and let all your doubts and allow all your ways and allow anything that causes doubts to creep up in your heart or anything that causes you to be drawn away from God, lay it all down and allow the cross of Christ to crucify it all. Bring it all and be done with. The very deeds and doubts of your life, bring it all and allow God to consume it. 
let it be dealt with. Let it be dealt with. I want to finish up with this last passage here. Because the story hasn't quite ended. Because now the people are saying the Lord is God. They've just witnessed. They've repented. They've turned. Their faith, if you, if you like, is being renewed. And now there is a time of refreshing. But you know what's interesting? God hasn't finished working. God, you know, we, we look at it, okay, okay, done deal. Get the game's over. The movie's finished. God is still working. God is taking every opportunity to work what he needs to work. And it would not surprise me if today you're sitting here half uh, unsettled a bit, unsure what you're going to do. And it would not surprise me that sometimes throughout the day today, God speaks again into your heart and settles it once and for all because God doesn't, God isn't working in time. God's working according to your faith. God's working according to his plan. The Bible says, verse 41, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of an abundance of rain. Isn't this an act of faith? There's the sound. I can hear it. Because God's true to his promises. I know sometimes we can't see his promises. I know sometimes we can't see how it's going to happen, but there's the sound of it. I can hear the abundance of rain. Praise the Lord. It's coming. The rain is coming. So Ahab went up and ate and drank, and Elijah went up to the top of, the, of Carmel, and he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, Go up now and look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And seven times he said, Go again. God hasn't finished, brothers and sisters. God hasn't finished. In all that is going on here, there seems to me, there seems to be to me something about this servant that God says his faith isn't complete yet. It seems to appear appears to me that God, just like he worried about the widow, and God he was concerned about the multitudes of people. That in this story, in this experience, he looks at the servant and says something like this, Elijah, this man's not ready yet. This man's faith isn't complete yet. I, I, I want to do something more for him. And we would think, and we would think that God would not reach out and call you and call you, that you would somehow be beyond his care. He tells this man, go and look. And the man says to him, um, uh, Go up into the sea and look. And he said, he went up and looked, and there's nothing. There's nothing in the sea. There's no sign of rain. And, and he said, well, go up and, and seven times. Why seven times? <laughs> now, I don't know, right? But listen, I don't think it's a coincidence that um, Elisha, who came after Elijah, had the same experience with Naaman when Naaman had leprosy. And Elisha says to Naaman, go wash in the river seven times. It's no, it's no coincidence. You might think it is, but there's no coincidence that Elijah says to him, go up seven times to the sea. And then Elisha says to Naaman, go dip yourself seven times in the sea. Listen to the story of Naaman when he does this. Listen to this. So he went, this is later, yeah, this is later with Elisha and Naaman. So he went and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. 
and he returned to the man of God and to all his aides, and he came and he stood before him, and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is a God in all the earth. There's no other God except in Israel. The same outcome. The Lord, he is God. And so this servant was called to do the same. Go up and seven times. Go up seven times. And he went one time, two times, three times, four times. He went seven times because God still had to do a work in him. Is God not going to be concerned about you too? That he would go to extraordinary lengths to take Elijah to the brooks and be fed by ravens, to be sent miles to go visit a widow, and then to come back and defeat the prophets of Baal and then still be interested in the servant of Elijah. Please, brothers and sisters, turn your face to him. Put away your embarrassment and your shame. Turn your face to him. Acknowledge to him where your faith is really at. So the man does this. If you like, maybe you could say he humbles himself. He humbles himself and does it seven times. And in that faith, as he does that, the Bible says, uh, verse 44, and then it came to pass the seventh time he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now when it, came, when, now, when it happened in the meantime, that the sky became black with clouds and the wind and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Ahab rode away, but listen, the people of God who had restored their faith now for the first time in many years were refreshed by the rain from God. Wow. Be refreshed, brothers and sisters. Be refreshed by the grace of God this morning. Let his grain of grace, the grace, the rain, come down and refresh you. Let his love pour down and refresh you. Let his mercy pour down and refresh your soul. But turn your face to him. And then finally, then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. <laughs> so Ahab uh, goes down, but Elijah runs down and he gets there, I think, before him, the Bible says, ahead or ahead of Ahab. Because you know what? There's more work to be done, which we'll see. There's more work to be done. But until then, brothers and sisters, turn your face toward him. Be refreshed by the grace of God. That the love of the reign of his love and mercy and grace be poured on him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for demonstrating your authority, to demonstrating, Lord God, the power of faith. And Lord, how much you go the great lengths to restore the faith of your people. I pray this morning, Father, that there are people who come and draw themselves close to you, who give up trying to pretend to be something they're not and allow you to restore their souls, to pour on them grace and mercy and love. Father, I pray, 
Help them to humble themselves and to turn their face towards you. And Father, grant them peace, your peace. We thank you, Lord, for your word and pray that you continue to bless it in our hearts throughout the week and for the rest of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name.